Welcome to the first of OAGs in Conversations. Today I'm talking with Martin Gauss, the CEO of Airbautic, about his experiences and learnings through the COVID-19 event and how Airbautic has responded to the challenges that they and many airlines have had to face at short notice. Martin, I know from chatting to you in the past and just following your career, it's been a fascinating journey that's um, led you to Air Baltic and Riga. Uh, perhaps you'd just like to share some of some of the highlights and some of the crises that you've worked your way through in, in such an illustrious career. When I came to Air Baltic in 2011, the airline was in, in big distress. Uh, it was technically bankrupt. And what we did... We, we rebuilt that airline at, at the time. We uh, mainly focusing on simplicity, taking costs out, simplifying the fleet. And we had a plan, a long-term plan. Uh, we ordered new jets for us. Uh, they arrived in 2016, the Airbus A220, which then became uh, the backbone of uh, the success story which followed. And we took a decision that we would be by 2023, have only Airbuses. And we were on track uh, with good results uh, to achieve all of this. Uh, reaching, um, exceeding half a billion revenue last year. And January, February this year in 2020 looked uh, amazing. We were well ahead of what we wanted to do. So we were looking forward to go for an IPO in the future. Then COVID came and uh, it hit the world so hard, especially the aviation industry, that now three months later, where we just started scheduled operations again, I see myself doing exactly the same thing rebuilding the airline and but of course now uh, with a very different uh, base because we had uh, a plan before we adjusted the plan and what i have here is a world-class team uh, together with me and we used the last three months to uh, to prepare for that restart and now the first four weeks we are in that restart and we're looking positive into the future but what has happened it's like a bankruptcy uh, again. Yeah? So airlines mm-hmm. have been basically put into a situation where mo- most airlines uh, are not able to do it without uh, major capital injections from their shareholders. Right. So when you, when COVID first sort of appeared on the horizon, I think you were one of the first airlines and one of the first country markets that took a, a pretty brave and a bold decision to shut down early do you think that has been a a major contributory factor to be able to come out uh, earlier than many others from the event i I definitely think so we what what happened here we we evaluated the situation uh, um, and then we took a decision as a company to say let's turn to the government and stop flying completely because latvia at that time had very low infection rates and we saw the, the no-show rate, mainly the no-show rate and the forward bookings changing on a daily basis, so dramatic that we decided we better stop completely now. Yeah. Uh, the country then um, helped us with an emergency law uh, put in place, and we were the first airline which stopped completely scheduled operations. And we did that, I think, four weeks before others eventually had to stop, or some of them never stopped. And what we did then on the on the day, and I remember it was here in this office when the prime minister was speaking, we were, all the management team was sitting around the table here. We we basically stopped flying. We made our headquarter 
like a hospital. We um, send everybody home and only the top management team, 11 people uh, and two more security and contact to the um, uh, Virological Institute uh, state. And we, we, we spend day and night in the first three weeks, also the weekends here. We uh, had very strict rules on us, on hygiene. We went through several COVID tests, the whole team again and again, because at that time, of course, more and more restrictions came. The positive effect for Latvia, we had a very, very slow rise of infection. And I think Latvia is the second best country in the world on, on, on that, if you do this comparison of how, how it was dealt with and how many infections per person. Yeah. One of the reasons was that the country really shut down also aviation completely. We then, on that very first day, focused only on one thing, to stay. So we, the focus was, whatever comes now, we need to stay, which means reduce the cost and look for new liquidity. Mm-hmm. While, while we were doing this, we said, what are we doing if we see that we can stay? We said we need to revise our product. And um, we did that. And then we were ready to restart and we came up with a plan on how to restart. And we started actually four weeks ago uh, by saying we will start only with five aircraft and then we add one aircraft per week. We also took out on that first day of stop, already on that day, we took out 40% of the total capacity. We reduced our fleet from 38 aircraft to 22 and we brought forward the decision to only fly Airbus is by three years. So our previous business plan would have said we go in 2023 only on Airbus, but now we took a decision and that's the key to the new product. We only fly the Airbuses. So we did all that work at a very high level. Uh, then over time, added a few people in the headquarter, but we run the airline from the headquarter um, for three months um, to prepare it for the restart. And I have to say that that was a very successful restart so far. We are now in week four and we see that what we planned worked. And now we're just adding an aircraft per week and uh, look forward that more and more of the restrictions in Europe are lifted and, and we can continue doing what what we were doing before very well. Mm-hmm. Not that this is all easy and not that it will be over soon, but there will definitely be a future for aviation uh, in the next years. And uh, we will soon see how long that uh, takes until we are back to levels which we saw before. I'm sure. I'm sure. One, of the, one of the things that um, is quite interesting and also quite frustrating for an airline, I guess, is how many iterations of your network plan you go through in these types of circumstances. And I just wonder, did you did you run numerous network scenarios or did you from the very beginning or did you just wait until you could see a clearer vision of what the new normal was going to be and then match your network to that new normal? We took a decision very early to say if we start again and nobody knew at that time when the restart would be. So we we assumed it would be the 1st of July. So we were very conservative. We decided already in March that we expect it would happen on the 1st of July. But at that time, we said we will start only with five airbuses and then add one aircraft per week. And we also said that we're going to start from all Baltic countries again and um, add one aircraft per week. Doing this in March, we had a full-blown uh, schedule out there with, with destinations. 
But then the reality kicked in that these different countries we were planning to go to had very different and still have very different rules and regulations. So um, in front of me is the tensed update of that network within four weeks. So it's a very, very dynamic update. It's basically now happening every week. We are updating the network and adjusting it to the new information coming from the different countries. And uh, that will be staying for a while. I would say that that stays until autumn if there's no second wave coming before you will really have uh, the normal network planning where you go in half yearly intervals. But at the moment, we're doing it several times a week. And for the, for the public and into the systems, we are changing it every week. And it's the tensed update on a four-week uh, operations of our network. Wow. And I, I imagine that all of your conventional planning tools, all of those things such as revenue management, forward booking curves, etc., are non-existent. So it really is all about intuition now, I, I assume, for the next couple of months. Yes, so revenue management systems, especially the, the historical data are irrelevant. Also, competitive data, which you normally, you look at what your competitors do, are irrelevant because the competitors are also not acting as they did before um, because they, they also do the same we do. Uh, passenger behavior is very different. Uh, the, if you look at the channels now, it's, it's, uh, it has jumped to our benefit uh, to uh, our own website yeah, because this is where people now trust. Mm -hmm. uh, while before there was a lot of traffic going via um, OAGs and uh, also travel agencies are not back to the levels they used to be before. But yes, all of it now, uh, we can base, of course, a network on historical data because the route which worked before very well will be working well in the future. But you can, for example, Moscow is a strong route, but that is close, close. So uh, this one is not not there yet. Then we had Germany opened a bit earlier, so we increased frequency on German routes where you would have maybe increased uh, on one of the top routes to to uh, Sweden. Sweden still being closed, so that dynamic is there, and you cannot. It, there's no system which can forecast what are these um, COVID coefficients in the next weeks or months. So therefore, uh, yeah, a lot of it is uh, taking historical data and then making the best out of it. On revenue management, of course, you use the system to, to do proper pricing, but um, the load factors are different. They range from 5% on one flight to 100% on another flight, and it's any forecast can only be wrong. So it's like at the moment we have to see and then adjust, and that's what we do every day. And how um, we've had discussions in the United Kingdom about bubbles and corridors and there was probably a, I think it was about a, one month ago um, lots of interest about the bubbles that were being created around you um, do you think do you think that they are a short-term solution or do they, they create more confusion than clarity uh, looking at the Baltic bubble it was uh, as the Baltics were um, doing very well on the on the infections so they had the chance to do that, and they are an area which, anyway, the Baltics, the three countries, are seen as one area. Um, therefore, that, I think, was a good decision. It was not so much affecting air travel because the flying just within the Baltics uh, is not so efficient as the, the ways are pretty short. Yeah. But uh, this is how we started, and then and that enabled us, actually, the Baltic bubble to also start as Air Baltic from all Baltic countries again on the same day. While if that wouldn't have been created, we would have had some issues starting in the two neighboring states 
Lithuania and uh, Estonia. So with the Baltic bubble, at least we had a very strong base to start. Um, the bubbles itself, when they're, when they're created now, um, it's not bubbles anymore. It's, it's each country takes these decisions uh, very differently. And um, I, I think we need, we need to get to a system where it's clear um, how it's done, because I think it's, IATA has published something now on the website, which they update several times a day. And I looked at it, it's, it's super confusing. So yeah. for us as an airline, it's confusing. So it must be even more confusing for a customer who wants to book a ticket, because how can you rely if you book, if that country today says you have to have quarantine and the next morning you read something, you don't have quarantine. Um, it's, but it's very difficult because all these countries now take the decisions just focusing on themselves, which is normal. So I do not see that there will be a common approach to that problem um, for a while until all countries are COVID free or easing it. We will see that. And uh, what we see more and more now is the countries who started again, like, like the Baltics, like Germany, things that Austria yet now is, is changing a lot. So these countries things get much easier and on a weekly base you see the change, the positive change and then the bookings coming back. But the UK, one of our strongest markets at the moment, we, we don't know. And I think nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I think the UK airlines are going to court against the quarantine rules. Um, but then these rules are not made for fun. And for sure somebody thought about it when, when making the rules. So for us as airlines and also for the customers, it's a very tricky territory at the moment. Yeah. Did you um, did you get involved in any repatriations or um, conversions or use of the um, aircraft cabins for PPE type cargo consignments and movements at all? Yeah, as, as we stopped so early, we uh, the only thing we were able to do then is act as a as a repatriation carrier for the Baltics. And uh, yet we we had uh, we even uh, had um, a brand created uh, Vito Mayas, which means in Latvian uh, uh, coming home. Uh, very, it was a very successful program, but each of these flights had to go through very special procedures, governmental approvals, mm -hmm. and also the the hygiene rules. We were flying most of these flights under the so-called Category Three. IATA um, has this recommendation for China uh, flying where you in full full body suits with FFP2 or three masks and uh, no food, nothing on board. So this this was the way how we did the repatriation flight. We also did a couple of um, flights to bring masks to Latvia. Actually, I remember that when, when Europe was, was discussing mask issues, we already landed in Riga back from China with um, with a million masks on board. Um, well, well ahead, well ahead of others. And we did not ever have that issue here that we didn't have masks. I, uh, we, we as an airline, I think we are the only airline in Europe which gives every passenger a basic care kit with including a mask because we were able to do so as we ordered these masks uh, and brought them ourselves from China in the beginning. So we took all these decisions, uh, having an airline on the ground and focus was on staying and then revising the product. So we had a lot of energy and time to plan that while we were in parallel doing uh, repatriation flights. but. Uh, not, I mean, Latvia is a small country or the Baltics, uh, is 6 million people in the Baltics, so that the amount of flying was not as it was, for example, in Germany. Yeah. I, I, I'm sitting here sort of chuckling away thinking it's typical of Air Baltic and your sort of leadership that when the rest of Europe is wondering where to get PPE equipment, you've, your aircraft has landed 
and it's already taxiing in with um, what everyone else in in the European Union is wanting. It's just so ironic. Small small can be beautiful. There's no doubt. Yeah, I, I, there's a good one. We we uh, we landed here with uh, there was a picture taken in China, uh, in in Urumqi actually, where the masks. We we organized it with our people in house right. to ship to ship that mask to Urumqi Airport. We took one of our airbuses and flew direct. We did all the approvals and everything as a small airline, and we landed here with these one million masks for a country with 1.9 million people. That was a big number. And we didn't do anything about it. There was a tweet and there was a picture and uh, there was local media. But we as Air Baltic, I didn't as a CEO stand in front of the masks. About two weeks later, I see all this news about uh, the big carriers bringing masks to the countries. That was two weeks later, while we already, I think, had the third flight coming here. We were just doing it at at a time when when others were not thinking about it. And... uh, then we, we saw all these issues on how you fly to China and so on while we already had done it. So, yes, I think because we were focusing already on, on a restart of the airline, we had the capacity because the airline was not doing scheduled operations anymore to focus on these things. And it, it helped us. It helped yeah. us through that whole process because when, when it was about the restart, it was clear we would have an envelope, a sealed envelope with disinfection wipes. With a, with a message caring about the passengers and including a mask in there. To have that ready to start the operations, you had to, you had to do a lot of things. And, and we were doing these things, and I'm very proud that, that the team came up with all these ideas and, and we were ready to do so when we started operations. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, it must be, even in that three-month three sort of lockdown in head office, to be able to put together such a such a program which is very different to your normal operation must you know for the whole team and the whole employee and workforce um just must give them so much kudos and sort of feeling that you know there is still a role for them to play when things are getting really tough yeah i think the team if you would ask them the 11 people here the top management team of air baltic if you spend three months together all of us, and we were all also locked into the city because we couldn't travel anywhere. We have a couple of expats, but mainly local people. Uh-huh. Each, each, there were a lot, a lot of people who had a birthday in this time. And if you would have been here with us in these three months, this was like a family. So that management team was was working so hard and so close together, which you normally would only see in a in a family. And how we how we took care of each other. Uh, just simple things like food. Yeah? Yeah. There were colleagues. There were colleagues who just brought the food for others because that is an issue when you have no cantina. This airport is closed, so there was not even even these things worked. And the hygiene rules. Everybody measuring mm-hmm. his temperature every morning, um, putting a lock. Everybody did a lock for himself. Then we all went through the COVID tests again and again, and basically going each day and having highlights in the face where every where everybody is depressed because you're not flying, but really preparing that restart. And now it, what we see now as, as our people are coming back, that uh, it really worked. It's, it's really an example of how to deal with such a crisis because I'm praising myself, which I should not, but uh, it's it's the team which did it. And uh, alone you cannot do that. No. But, but it is it is a story which has to be told in the future because I think we did an incredible job um, having such a smooth restart, we fly the first week now, and uh, numbers are, are looking good for the time we're in. 
and we have a clear plan and, and nobody is nervous about it. Yeah, we're just going forward. Yeah. Well, if you're, I mean, you know, if you're not going to tell the story, hopefully this podcast will, because I think it's a, a fascinating sort of insight that most people would not even um, have any awareness of. But how does it, how does it all now begin to look as you come out? Because presumably, you know, these additional health quarantine requirements, cleanliness, um, has an impact on your operation in terms of increased cost, perhaps increased connecting times. Um, how's, how's all that? I mean, do you, do you anticipate your cost of operation will, will increase as a result of taking all the necessary steps? Uh, no, the cost will, of course, go down earlier than planned because the um, focusing only on the Airbus fleet will bring us the maximum cost benefits if you look at a cask figure. Yeah. Now, the, now the operation, of course, flying a lot of flights where you don't even, uh, you, you don't make the money you should make because you have maybe five passengers on one sector and then the, the next sector, 60. Uh, so we are losing money on some of the flying. But of course, in the future, we will be, because it's only the Airbus fleet, benefit from that simplicity. And what we see in these first four weeks is an incredible increase in bookings each each week. We are, we are back to booking pack pattern where people are booking from Monday to Friday and then Saturday, Sunday is not so much. And then the next Monday is more. And I'm having in front of me, uh, when we started to say that we fly scheduled operation, um, by having no bookings at all, uh, we immediately jumped to uh, 1,000 in the first week. Um, as, a, as a number, but if yesterday we exceeded 7,000. So for us as an airline, this is a very, very strong number looking at the capacity which we currently offer. So looking looking at this very steep increase um, gives us a very good feeling that we will be going back to where we were. But of course, it will take time because we will only be flying uh, by the end of this year as a maximum of 25 aircraft. And the time until we have 20 aircraft will be earliest in the end of August. So it's a very slow start. But uh, cost-wise, once we are in the full operation next year, we intend to break even uh, already next year. But this year, of course, there is so much losses coming from not flying or from flying and not making money that we, w we will not be um, profitable uh, next year. We hope to break even. It depends a lot on, on how this year ends. But, uh, yeah, we see from the numbers at least now that, that we are going back because we took out a lot of capacity and we simplified the product but by only focusing on, on the Airbus A220. That's good. I, I, I think one of the fascinating things about this, and, and I, the general public, I, I think, do not appreciate it, but we've, we've touched on it before, is... Most airlines, because of government support, and I think the US is a great example with the CARES Act, look like they will be able to sustain some type of operation and begin some type of recovery that will take them through to the end of October, November and the winter programmes. But that's, I don't know what your opinion is, it seems to me that that's just, you know, half time in this battle. And the hardest part is actually going to get through being able to get through next winter when cash reserves traditionally become depleted, forward bookings dry up and demand softens. Um, what's your what's your thoughts about that? Do you think do you think we've got a lot more consolidation and perhaps 
difficulties for the industry to face? Yes, I, I think we have not seen at all what is coming because if we look now, I can I can judge from myself and then from what is publicly available from competitors. While airlines are not flying yet and the majority of the scheduled carriers ramp up mid of June in Europe, um, while not flying and by postponing lease payments and by having idle time pay and all these kind of support mechanisms while you're not operating, you're somehow making it through. But the moment you start flying, and now I'm looking at everybody, um, look at ACMI operators, right? Mm -hmm. they, their business model was to fly for others. And, and I haven't heard of any of them not being in business anymore. But when they want to come back to business, what's, what's the base? Yeah? Who's going to take ACMI in at the moment when everybody has his own fleet grounded? The next thing is airlines, which are not having the shareholders being able to support them through the summer and the winter, they will start flying and then they will find out that there is not enough bookings and therefore, as you say, there will be cash flow issues coming. So I think we will see a lot of airlines giving up after they have started again because that hope, of course, is there that somehow you, you fill up your aircraft. And um, I think key to, to this is either you are part of the infrastructure of your country, like, like a Lufthansa Air France, or you are a Ryanair who say, okay, we have so much cash, we go through this, and we do believe that we can fill all our aircraft again. Or if, if, if you cannot fill your aircraft, you will just uh, find out later that you had not enough money and you collapse. And I agree with you, we might see a lot of airlines being out of business next year. And I, I simplifying your whole business model, as you've done over the last three, four months, puts you in a, a really good position um, both for the summer, which, you know, hopefully w the forward booking trends you'll see and will accelerate, but also to go through that the winter. How how crucial will all of those code shares you have with all of those major global alliances be in that? Are you hoping to get more feed coming back from them quickly? Uh, the code shares were for us very important because of the connectivity, which we offer them flying from the Baltics to the destinations of our code share partners, and then people could fly onwards. So that is important, but what is more important is that uh, we, we have the major carriers as co-chair partners. They have an intense um, um, distribution network, and the sales coming from their side, of course, will help us because Air Baltic is a small carrier sitting in the Baltics, but we have uh, had a lot of uh, um, customers coming through our co-chair partners. So, of course, we hope that, uh, that they continue selling the tickets because there was a demand on their end to sell uh, tickets uh, as a co-chair partner, as as we hope to sell also on their uh, code and on their flight. So yes, I do believe that this will come back because we were we were offering a connectivity and and connectivity will stay in the world. Yeah, uh, the, as we see now, there's a lot of friends and relatives flying at the moment. The business flying is not there, but the connectivity of this planet will be re-established. And a very good number I read yesterday. Uh, in, somewhere in the news that in China, the domestic capacity is back to 90% of what it was before. That is a very good indication that there is a demand for flying and connectivity yeah. and, and Air Baltic is a connectivity provider. So therefore, uh, I see our co-chair partners um, and us offering that connectivity and I see the need for that uh, in the future. But at the moment, I have to say that this is a lot of leisure flying and friends and relatives um, this business will still take a while. 
And, well, it's interesting you say that because I mean, I've, I've literally just been looking at those Chinese numbers and surprisingly, Vietnam's domestic market is back to the same level as it was this week last year. So I think there are some encouraging signs around the world. What is quite interesting is how pre-COVID, the aviation industry had become heavily and quite rightly focused on environment, sustainability and all of those sort of things. And many airlines have just parked it at the moment because survival is far more important than sustainability, at least for the next couple of months. But you've got some pretty good credentials in in that environmental sustainability um, issue, haven't you, as an airline? Yeah, we, we took a different approach on this because we were short before, with the Airbus A220 as a, as a decision to only fly that aircraft in three years from now, that was the plan. We wanted to have a very, very sustainable fleet because uh, that, that aircraft uh, is the greenest uh, narrow body in the market. So what we did now, we said this sustainability discussion and the need for it will come back. I agree. There is now survival mode and nobody talks about it. We are using more plastic than ever before because of hygiene. But once the COVID is over or is in control, that sustainability debate will come back much, much stronger. Mm. And what we did in, in revising our product, we took that as a key element to focus on this approach already now. And the decision to focus only on the A220 was also to be ready for that sustainability approach. And we even changed our the names of our ticket fares to green, uh, also to reflect that uh, in, in the name. And of course, as Airbotic has the green tails, we had a natural advantage for that coming from a very green country. So we will, of course, use that also now. But I agree, um, right now, the ramp up is the, the sustainability discussion is not there. But if we talk in one year from now, I'm pretty sure that that is very high on the agenda because what the world learned is that if industrial production reduces, the air gets cleaner. And it is something we all have to do. And maybe after that crisis, there will be even an acceleration once we go back to that debate. And for that, I believe by focusing only on the A220, we, we took a big step forward and accelerated uh, uh, the airline on the way to sustainability. I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And um, having having been to Riga, the beaches just outside the city centre had some amazing fresh air a um, couple of years ago. So now I should think it's uh, the cleanest in the world. But as a, as a CEO, Martin, I mean, you know, you've you've worked through some very challenging um, appointments in your career. What what are the key takeaways that you've learned from COVID nineteen? Is it is it you know act quick and cut deep early? Is it get get the best team together? What are, what are the key learnings? That you, if there was COVID twenty, heaven forbid, what what are the key learnings you would take out of this event? Um, I, the, the key learning is act and uh, act, take a decision, then revise your decision. Do, do it fast and do it, yeah, do it, do it with a team. Um, ch- challenge yourself in the team and be open, but take decisions, take them. And then if, if you overdid it, which uh, in a lot of things I think we're all doing when we take decisions, then correct your decision. And one more thing, and we had to unemploy, unfortunately, 40% of our workforce. Also, that we did within two weeks after we stopped, we initiated the process because it was key to stay to reduce our cost. 
And what we did, we communicated. And what 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 the communication side, what what happened in this company, from one day to another, we send out we send home 1,700 people to stay at home. But we had to communicate with them, and we had an intranet, um, an internal internet, which we used uh-huh. for communications and email. And the usage of the intranet was um, increasing because we did daily video podcasts, daily video updates to the staff every day on top of written information, and it increased by from 3,000 usage to 12,000 usage wow. uh, per week. Um, we have this as a statistic and we're showing it and it hasn't stopped. So people are relying on, on whatever we put there to communicate. And what we did, we communicated every step we did to the people sitting at home. Also, all the negative ones where we have these interactive, um, I do live streamings and we have the Slido system yeah. where people can ask any question. It's not filtered, it's anonymous. So. You can imagine from 1,700 people sitting at home in the deepest crisis of the industry, what fears are there and they came out and what anger. But we faced it and uh, we still do it every week, live streaming. And uh, I answer any question to any any subject, even very rude things. I answer it live because I think it is key in such crisis to give an answer. So take a decision, um, revise your decision, but communicate, communicate, communicate. And that, that is what we did um, here. And the feedback from our staff is that this communication was the best thing we did. And it, it, it's interesting because it's, it's only one word, but leadership, you know, is so important and visibility of leadership uh, where, you know, I'm, there are other examples in Europe where, such leadership seems to have been lacking from airlines that maybe have just bunkered down and and uh, hoping to weather out the storm. But um, from what you're saying, I mean, it's been an inspirational lesson for you and and the whole company. Um, it, it is, and I, uh, and I have to say, being a leader for, for many years, uh, I have been through different crises. I was uh, in uh, D- DBA when um, September 11 happened. I was director of flight operations, had to deal with that. Uh, I was there when a volcano came. Um, I was here when this airline was in, in bankruptcy, was also a crisis. But this crisis is in our industry, the, the biggest one we had. But it is one of the crises in the future we had. And being being part of it and being able to lead the airline through it um, is very interesting. And I have to say, I'm, I'm very proud. The, the proudness comes from not only what I did, but that feedback now we get from our people, from mm. even from the ones we unemployed. You should, should see the messages yeah. where people wrote, um, I'm, I have to leave the company, but I really thank you. And we had that X times saying, uh, I'm really thankful for your transparency and openness, and I hope that I can join you in the future again. These kind of statements you wouldn't get if you're if you not doing it right as, an, as, a, as a company. And we did that, and we have many, many testimonials there, people writing emails saying that they really loved the job they leave and uh, they want to come back. I think then then you can be proud of, of what you did as a team uh, um, going into this crisis and coming out of it now. Martin, I, th- I think um, if you haven't written a book or you've not contracted to write a book on your experiences, can you let me have the first opportunity to be your agent? Because I think it's a fascinating story. Um, and I, I've got some ideal pictures for the front covers. Yeah, I um, actually... I. Going through this crisis, um, I took a decision 
to write a book. Um, it is. Uh, it will be published uh, in spring. Uh, I have professional advice on oh. that, and I am actually doing it because everybody says that this is a, such an incredible story. The first one in 2011, now followed by the second one. And of course, the book will be published at a time when we have shown that that second turnaround was working even better than the first one. So that is already happening. I have to say sorry, but uh, <laughs> I, have, I have already somebody who is uh, saying do that and, uh, and I'm actually doing it. Well, I, I think the two important things are one, make sure that it's available on Amazon Kindle. So it's environmentally friendly and, and also make sure you uh, get it put on your um, in-flight products so that people can buy it as well. And so, you know, we have this idea that this Air Baltic story is then printed in 67 languages and available on all channels. I'm joking. But uh, yes, we will make sure that the Air Baltic story is, is, is out there once, um, once it's clear that we should tell it. Yeah, I think, I think it's fascinating. So, I mean, you know, in closing, despite all of this, you continue to be excited and, op and you see optimism for Air Baltic and, and for the industry generally. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm very excited. I think I'm at the best time of my life to, to take an airline or a company forward. I'm heavily motivated to do that after being three months together with my team. Uh, yeah. There's nothing else I want to do for the foreseeable future in my life than, than taking this airline back to where it should be. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very motivated to do so and I'm happy to do it. Uh, it's tough and it will not be easy, but I'm, I'm very, very motivated to do it. It becomes personal, doesn't it? Yes, it is. Being not a Latvian person, uh, not a Latvian national, uh, living here in this country and having this hospitality from, from the people, uh, it, it is very personal for me to do this for Air Baltic and for this country. Brilliant. Martin, um, I'm going to stop there and say thank you very much. I've taken too much of your time and I know it's very valuable and uh, really do appreciate it. I don't think there'll be any um, on-time performance awards for anyone this year, but I'd love to be um, giving you some trophies in January 2022. So uh, let's hope that happens. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I'm looking forward to, to see you maybe before that in person, but uh, also thank you for the opportunity to have that thank podcast. You. A fascinating insight from Martin and some great examples of how Air Baltic coped with the early stages of COVID-19 and are now seeing a positive recovery to their business. Join us in the next few weeks for more In Conversation podcast with other aviation leaders. And in the meantime, please visit oag.com where you can see all of our latest analysis, information and news, which of course can be used to help you see your way through the challenging market conditions we face today. Thank you.